excuse me. Five years ago, a friend of mine asked Kirsten and I uh, for some thoughts about different seasons of college, from freshman to senior year, because um, we, we'd been talking about college ministry, and I mentioned to him that, that ministry to freshmen looks very different than ministry to seniors, or probably Kirsten mentioned it because that's a good idea, um, and, and that there are different seasons of life, and that even college ministry, which to the outside world is, is a pretty uh, small window, when we're in it and, and actually serving y'all, each year in college looks very different, and I don't think college ministry is this homogenous thing to, to 17-year-olds and 23-year-olds. And we were talking about this, and this guy said, um, hey, will you do me a favor? Will you just write down some notes, because I'm leading this seminar, and it might be really cool to tell people about what we've seen, uh, our sort of norms and trends, uh, sort of freshman through senior year. And so five years ago, <clears throat> excuse me, in 2013, I jotted down some notes, and here's some of what I wrote. I didn't actually originally write this to share with y'all. Um, I, I took out some stuff and edited it a little bit, but um, I'm a little bit nervous. Some of it might sound patronizing, but I, um, I, I hope it doesn't come off that way. This, this is what I shared with them anyway. For freshmen, um, this is some stuff that I said, if you have that slide. Here we go. Oh, that's hard to read. Um, sorry, it's hard to read, guys. That's my bad. Um, but there you go. I'll send you the slide if you need to. Um, so freshmen, this is stuff I said. I said they really want to find their people, right? As an expression, of, actually this is Kirsten's idea, they want to find their people as an expression of trying to figure out who am I. But they're looking for like their people. It's a great time for them to try a bunch of things and discover some of who they are and who they aren't. They begin to consider the value of same-sex friendships for the first time. They know a lot more than seniors. They experience a horizon exploding with different ideologies and practices. So, so um, many people coming into college, for many of them it's the first time that they've been around it's the first time they realize, at least, that they've been around a lot of people that are coming from totally different deals. And I'm trying to figure out who I am in the midst of all this and what I believe and what I want to untether from and, and, and where I want to go toward, all that kind of stuff. Um, this is a great time to present people with the idea that God can do really big things in their lives, bigger than they've imagined, though at this age they tend to think in pretty cultural categories. Big platforms, cultural power, being a celebrity, etc., I know we had a pretty lengthy conversation about leadership stuff. Like many people coming into college are looking to like wear badges and hats and uh, letterman's jackets or the equivalent of in things. But it has a lot to do with identity and validation. And we're just not into that. But that's like a real dynamic that we deal with and we think about. For sophomores, <laughs> we had some different stuff to say. So a lot of students I know mess up something significant this year. Sex, and failed classes, fallout with parents, alcohol problems, etc. Sophomore year, for a lot of folks, um, something, something pretty uh, tragic seems to wreck them. Um, this is when a lot of students start to become disenchanted with their idols. The things they've gotten value from in the past. Those idols seem to stop working or they break sometime during the sophomore year. Those things that you identify with that have given you worth maybe all through high school and, and into the first year of college, they stop working their sophomore year. Typically, this is when folks begin to wrestle with their past. Many sophomores experience a lot of sadness, feel invisible, and don't really feel like anything is particularly for them. For juniors, he said, if there is one year when students make the turn to become more like adults, if, if that turn happens, <coughs> it's this year. This is the most teachable year. This is one of the most fun years for us to do college ministry with. Um, as, as, as juniors develop what they want and try to grow, they generally make a lot of life-changing decisions this year. I mean, people talk about changing majors and friends all the time like it's an outfit early on. But something about junior year for some folks, they tend to really make some thoughtful, deliberate, wise decisions about majors and habits 
and romance and friendships. Same-sex friendships really start to bear fruit and mean something this year. A lot of people recalibrate some understanding of friendships this year. And if they have been involved since their freshman year, many will lose interest in what the ministry sort of, quote, has to offer. Or, these are the two options, or they will take leadership roles to grow and help others, as opposed to leadership roles for the sake of identity validation. Seniors? Many seniors, obviously it gets more and more. The more time we have with you, the more words come on screen. Uh, many seniors um, feel a bit homeless, and I told some seniors at the senior dinner, uh, that's a terrible word choice on my behalf, um, because I think being homeless is um, probably not a word to co-op like that, but I'm sorry about that. Um, they don't feel like they can uh, double down on college. Your senior year, you don't really feel like, oh, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reinvest in new friends. I'm going to do this college experience all over again. That's not something seniors do um, or like to do. Um, but they also don't really feel like they're peers with folks out of college yet. So they don't really know where they fit, even as seniors. They enjoy free food and knowing staff and sitting in the back. Um, but the normal rhythms of the ministry have lost the magic for them. And so this usually creates a desire to sort of hold on and cling to certain things that are their favorites they don't want to change, or they think that they just have to move on and this isn't for them anymore. If they care to, they're amazing at ministering to underclassmen who are often looking up to them and following them without the seniors realizing it. If somewhere along the way they got really hyped up on some theological idea, um, then this is the year that they really need to be, that we find a tremendous amount of openness to this. They really need to be pushed to see the person of Jesus, not just a pet theology or cause. If like missions is your thing, or serving the homeless is your thing, and, and, and for many of us, this is uh, quite frankly all, it's a scathing thing in our culture, because there are many folks in this room that care a ton about some global issues, but we don't do anything locally for people with those issues. And so it's a weird thing, and that's why I would call it, and this is where it sounds patronizing, a pet cause or something, where it feels a little bit like a toy, and then as soon as you get a girlfriend or a boyfriend, you're done with it. Or a pet theology that's really big until you get a full-time job, and then it's just not that interesting to you anymore. And so we find in senior years, there's this turn often that happens where, where people begin to, the, the luster of some sort of like robust idea gets, gets a little bit faded, and what they want to see is just Jesus. Does God act, is God actually who he says he is and who he reveals himself to be in the person of Jesus Christ? And how does Jesus himself breathe life into the causes and the theologies? The best thing we can usually do with our seniors is give them a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with our staff and connect them to people in local churches and businesses. I spend way more time with upperclassmen than I do younger students. For many reasons, partly because I think the upperclassmen tend to better utilize my time. They come at it with more directness and more forthrightness, but also because you upperclassmen ought to be meeting with younger students and discipling them and mentoring them. It's not exclusive like that, y'all, but that's, that's a pretty trend. Anyway, I was sharing these kinds of thoughts with a colleague of mine. All right, this was five, this is in 2013, so it's not about you uh, per se, um, but you know, whatever, I was sharing those kinds of thoughts. Um, perhaps the seasons and stages, maybe they maybe not perfectly correspond um, with the class designations for you, maybe. Um, but what this, sort of going through this reminds me of um, is the wisdom that we, that we had read earlier, and I want to look at it again real quick, because um, I want us to see this in light of um, all these different experiences. I'm arguing in just a short amount of years that I can see totally different seasons and stages of faith and life for people. And it reminds me of this Ecclesiastes passage from chapter 3, right? Let's look at it one more time. There is a time for everything. 
And you might think as we read through this, when have these times been for you um, over the past year, the past few years? Uh, to be born was a, bit, a long time ago. Um, but, but you can think about this even metaphorically. There are certain things that, that are birthed in our life, ideas, seasons are birthed, and there are times that we need to put things to death. There are times when things end and we must say goodbye. There's times to be born and times to die. That, that, that literally means born and, and die, but whatever. Um, a time to plant and a time to uproot. There's a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. There's a time for all of these things. And my invitation to you is, to, is now a time for you to tear something down or is now a time for you to build something? A time to weep and a time to laugh, sort of personal things or public things, a, a time to mourn corporately or a time to dance. Sort of these are the weeping and laughter things taken corporate. A time to scatter stones or a time to gather them, that's really complicated. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing Oh, some of you, man, it might be a great time for you to let go of some things. A time to search is also a time to give up. There's a time to keep and a time to throw away. There's a time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil in light of this? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity into the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. This was written by, or we're, we're encouraged, invited to know that it was written by King Solomon, a man who had wisdom and wealth, love and success, power and glory, who traveled the world and expanded his kingdom on the earth. And this letter of Ecclesiastes, it's just sort of to the right, a little bit of Psalms in the center of your Bible. <clears throat> um, this is his magnum opus, his final summary of all he has learned in life. After looking at everything, over and over again he says this, I have done this, I have done this, after all of my endeavors, after all of my searching, after all of my learning, after all of my work, after all of my pleasure, over and over and over again he says these kinds of things. Here's what I've learned. He tells us that in God's wisdom, there is a time for everything in our lives, that no matter how hard we work to keep things the same, if they're good, because we don't do that if things are hard. No matter how hard we work to keep things the same, there will be seasons. Every one of us will go through times of weeping and laughter, friends. Every single one of us will go through times of searching and times of giving up. Every one of us will go through times of keeping and times of throwing away, times of planting, times of uprooting. We all have been born and we all will die. Kirsten and I once heard a youth pastor share that every time a family in his church had a child, he would give them a jar with 936 marbles in it. One for each week they would spend with their child until he or she was 18 years old. And he encouraged them to take one marble out each week so they could visualize just how much time they had left with this kid in their house. There's a time for these families to have newborns and a time for them to have toddlers, a time for them to have active children and a time for them to have adolescents. A time for them to see their children become adults and a time for them to let go. 
Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. My son's nine, my oldest, he's nine, and it is incredible to me that I've had him for half as long as I will in my house. I remember the first day I dropped him off at kindergarten. I may have shared this with you guys before. It's one of the more profound moments in my life. <clears throat> he'd, just been, uh, he'd just been with us for five years. And from that day forward, literally from that day on, he would spend, I realized this walking away after dropping him off, he would spend more time away from us or asleep than he would with us. That that day is what marked that difference. From here on out, unless we homeschool, I will never again have him with us more than he's away from us for the rest of my life. And I wept all the way to the car and my wife was really mad for me bringing that up. <laughs> Teach us to number our days that we may have a heart of wisdom, God. My friend and I, literally yesterday, probably because I was talking about this sermon, <laughs> we were marveling at this fact that there are 100,000 books published every single day in the English language. R- today, uh, statistically speaking, 100,000 books on average were published. Today, 100,000. It's an overwhelming number. I don't even know how to make sense of that number, right? Um, and and we, as, we, as we talked about this, uh, uh, we, we said, if we only read 25 books per year for the rest of our lives, we've only got about 1,000 books we can possibly read, and that's assuming we live to the average age. And so we want them to be good. We don't want to waste our time reading crappy books if we only get to read 1,000 of them. Teach us the number of days, O oh Lord, that we might have a heart of wisdom. The average college student, let's bring this closer to home, because none of you is planning on reading 25 books a year. <coughs> My friend was like, that's easy, that's only two a month, you should do 15. I was like, dude, that's a big year, and, and so I talked him down to 25. Uh, I have nerds, friends. Um, I have nerds, yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> that's, what ner- that's what we nerds say. Um, <coughs> the average college student <coughs> has 120 weeks of school during a four-year term at university. That's 120 Mondays and 120 Fridays and 120 Tuesday nights. It's four Christmas breaks, four spring breaks, and only three summers. Teach us to number our days, God, that we may have a heart of wisdom. And in each season, in each time, in each moment, rather than spin our wheels to try to get out of it if it's tough, or secure it if it makes us happy, or spend all of our energy just wishing we were in another season. How many of us spend so much of our energy doing these things, friends? The invitation of wisdom is to consider what God has ordained for us in this season. To realize the brevity of the season. To learn from God what we can in that time. And as hard as it is to believe that it's possible in some seasons to enjoy, to actually find joy and live into the joy of whatever God has for us in every season. For in each season or in every season, there are unique opportunities which don't exist in other ones. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 16. We've been talking about wisdom. This has been a guiding passage from the very beginning for me. Be very careful then. Right before this, he says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and let let the light of Christ shine upon you. And he says, Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. And here's how you're wise. By making the most of every opportunity. That's how you're wise. Because the days are evil. 
When the Apostle Paul says the days are evil, what he's recognizing is that there are forces at work within us and outside of us which fight against us making the most of every opportunity. Y'all know this in your day-to-day experience. Our laziness, our consumption habits, the constant distractions that we've accommodated to, our own fears and timidity. But what we need is a sense of urgency. We need a reminder to wake up and recognize the moment, to pay attention to the season that we're in and to realize it is brief. Whatever it is, elation, victory, loneliness, whatever these seasons are, they are brief. And make the most of it. Teach us to number our days, God, that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Whatever season you're in, friends, whatever it is, it will pass. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a common refrain in, 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 in the English language. This too shall pass. But God, being sovereign in all things, has unique opportunities for you in the midst of this season right now. Opportunities to love, opportunities to learn, opportunities to, be, to mature, to be transformed, to consider another that you wouldn't normally consider if you were in another season. To see things from a perspective that you wouldn't normally even think to see. Or in wisdom language, opportunities to gather, opportunities to let go, opportunities to listen or speak or tear up or mend or plant or uproot. Whatever season you are in, there are opportunities before you, friends. Make the most of them because the seasons are brief. Just today, my wife sent me a picture and she texted a couple times and then she sent me a video and then we FaceTimed (coughs) because my dogs had dropped off a giant snake on our doorstep. Uh, And now normally, I would be outside, uh, peeing a little, um, taking care of it, Um, uh, because that would be terrifying, but I would try to act tough, um, unless it's a cockroach. My wife takes care of cockroaches at home, but but because she does that, I do the snakes. Um, But because I'm not there, because I'm not at home, and I'm, I'm in, we have the, we had the senior dinner outside. I was uh, writing a sermon, uh, in the, you know, right before this, which is normal for me. Um, I wasn't home, and so she didn't say, can you come home real quick? Um, she's on the video, and, uh, and because I'm not there in this moment when my wife surely wishes that I were there. Like, this is not an opportune moment for her. You know what she says? She says, of course this happens when you're not here. This is the course that, like, that's not a desirable moment for her, but there's an opportunity. And the opportunity is for my nine-year-old son to protect his mom from an evil snake. See? And I watched this video of him trying to get it with a shovel. Y'all, if I had been home, that opportunity would not have been there. And in this undesirable moment, a season that my wife would never wish. You know, I, I ne- we never, and we shouldn't do this even. I wouldn't wake up in the morning, you know what I wish for this week, hon? I wish that maybe this week, like some evil creature that's compared to the devil in the Bible, uh, <laughs> that it would creep up on our house when I'm gone. You know, and that our son, who's also scared of snakes, I'm sure, um, would, would have the opportunity to do this. If I'm there, he's going to say, Dad, you do it, and he's going to be looking for me for confidence, and I'm going to be like, yo, that's a scary snake. And he's like, Dad, you're peeing a little, and this whole thing's going to get weird. But when I'm gone, <laughs> when I'm gone, you know what my son's thinking? He's like, my mom's scared, and I want to man up. That's what he's thinking. He's wanting to be brave for her. There's an opportunity in a, in a moment that nobody would desire. And so I'm watching him on FaceTime, and I'm like, that's it, man. I'm so glad I actually wasn't there in this moment. Because there's an opportunity for my son and for my wife, right? 
And for my sisters to see their brother doing this too, like the whole thing's cool. Next time I hope it's an opportunity for one of my girls to grab a shovel. I hope no more snakes come, but we'll figure out some other moments, right? But, wh- but whatever the moment is, whatever the moment is, whatever it is, there's a time for everything. And in those moments, the invitation for wisdom is not to wish I was in a different one or to cling to the past one or to get rid of this one. It's to look into the face of this moment and say, Lord, how do I take, how do I take advantage of this opportunity? How do I make the most of it here? What do you have for me in this season now? Because I know it, will, I know it won't last. Y'all are about to wrap up this school year and your finals are before you. Make the most of them. You're about to experience some change in your social circles. You can't help it. All of you will. And you can say, oh, don't tell me that. I don't like thinking about that. Change scares me. Friends, it's not wise to close your eyes to what is inevitable in your life. I've spoken on this stage before about how Christians are called to be realists in the world. We're not called to live in fantasy land and close our eyes to the realities of the world. You, many of you, all of you, not many of you, all of you will experience some degree of, of change in your social dynamics and circles in the next couple of weeks and over the course of the summer. Make the most of the next couple of weeks in conversations with your family and friends. You freshmen, make the most of this a first of three summers in college and learn some practical skills. Work hard. Save some money, even if you don't have to. This is about your character and your growth as a man or a woman. You'll never look back and go, you know what I'm super thankful for? I'm super thankful that I learned nothing that summer, but I watched Netflix a lot. That will never happen. Ever. You sophomores, make the most of what you've learned now that you've got a couple years under your belt. You don't need to go back. And I pray that you come into the next year teachable and hungry to leverage your influence and your gifts with a sense of humility and a servant heart for others. You juniors, make the most of your last summer in college by dreaming really big and working really hard to grow deep friendships, to reconcile and grow strong with your families and and, and be ready uh, to be equipped in your last year of college. You seniors make the most of this opportunity, even in hunting for jobs, which who the heck would ever wish the season of job hunting on anybody? It's a, ter- it's, it's a terrible season that we all want out of. But there are opportunities there for you to learn things about yourself and about others for ways to grow. Because the moment you get a job, there are things you won't do anymore. There are opportunities that you won't have anymore. How do you make the most of this opportunity. It feels a little, sometimes, like, I think about this a lot when I think about uh, pre, uh, premarital counseling. I do a fair bit of that, um, and, and, and one of the common realizations that, that many of us have, maybe all of us have, is that, geez, counseling is way better after marriage than before, and most people have no idea what to do with it before, all the, all the words and all the categories and all the conversations, but, but you go, you know what, we just actually don't have the opportunity to meet as much afterwards because couples often don't want to let anybody in once they start seeing behind the curtain. They get scared, and so you go, man, if they're going to get married, now is the best opportunity because they're thinking, dude, if I can just sit down with this guy, and he just, like, tells us all the stuff, then we're, 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 that's what's going to protect our marriage. And, and it's not true, but people think that way, and so when you're, when you're sitting on, on my side of things, you go, this is an opportunity, though, that I want to take advantage of, that y'all are freaked out about getting married, so you're willing to listen to anything, and so let's talk now. 
and I'll hope that I talk to you later too, but now's this opportune time. You guys, even if you're, you seniors, even if you're job hunting and you're redefining your social life because you have to and you're developing new rhythms of work and recreation, growing hope and habits of virtue, I, I said this at the dinner, but don't you dare peak in your 20s. Think longer than that. And think of the opportunities you have in this next season, which you may not have seven years from now in your 30s. Because seniors, that's how far away you are. Or 17 years from now in your 40s. Teach us to number our days, Lord, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. If you've made a mess of this year, if you are lonely, if you're experiencing so much joy right now, if for the first time ever it seems like everything's clicking, these are all seasons. There's a time for everything and make the most of it. The seasons we've been combing through tonight, the, the, just the brief things we look at tonight, they're all really, really brief, but friends, the scriptures have more to say than this. Our lives too are brief. Our lives too are really, really brief. James says they're, they're, they're this is a whisper. There's smoke. In our culture today, it's not popular to talk about death. Heck, we, it's weird. We even try to make adolescence, which is a word that didn't exist much in history at all before recently. Um, and, and, and once it started to, it was recognized as a transition between childhood and adulthood. But, but right now, we're even trying to make adolescence a destination, not a transition. Like, we don't like talking about death. Like, the whole, we, we, even t we, we use other words than death. We have, like, a whole vocabulary, we have a dictionary for other ways to talk about death than saying death. It's, it, you won't find, I'm sure, I mean, maybe you will now, maybe it's like a hipster thing to do or whatever, but, but you probably won't find, like, a Hallmark card that says, I'm really sorry that so-and-so died. It will never say that because it's too harsh of a word, and we don't like to think about this stuff. And no, it's not popular, but it will do us no good in the end, friends, to ignore the truth of seasons in our life. That there is both youth and there is old age, and there are opportunities in either of them that are not in the other. We have birth and we have death, and our lives are brief, and God would have us remember that. That we would make the most of this time while we have breath in our lungs, that we would make the most of the opportunity we even have to live at all. This is wisdom. Your life is not about primarily what you will do right after you graduate college, friends. That is a truncated view which comes from not numbering your days. This is wisdom. May we be people who are not afraid to number our days, to take an honest look at our life, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We end our semester and our year together, <coughs> excuse me, by coming to the Lord's table um, because it's here that we find the answer to our life's worth and to our hope for something lasting. You see, Jesus frees us from the pressure of having to cling too tightly to things because it's real easy for somebody to say, stop clinging so tightly. But, but you know if you're clinging tightly to things, you need a compelling reason to let go. He offers us a life everlasting and promises to raise us from the dead just like he was raised. And he says, I have something greater for you. That's why you can let go. And he frees us from the fear of looking into the face of hard seasons because we're afraid to look into the face of hard seasons. Nobody wants to do that. 
but he frees us from it because he's with us in them and he leads us through them and like any good leader ought to do, he practices what he preaches. He goes first. And he, so he goes through hard seasons that none of us would ever wish upon anyone or ourselves. He even faces something, I submit to you, that none of us will have to face ever because he did. And that is being abandoned by the Father. Which I would argue is the deepest fear all of us have. That none of us will ever have to face because of Jesus. None of us. And because he went through these things victorious, he frees us from fear and he offers us his body and his blood. And in that very thing, he reminds us that we too live in a very specific season. He says we live between his death and resurrection on the one hand and his coming again on the other. We live in this certainty of his power over death and of God's love for us and this sure hope of our deepest desires of our hearts. And this time, this, this season between these two things is set for a reason, for all who hear his voice to not harden their hearts but to respond to the love that God pours out for us in his son, Jesus Christ. That is the season within which we live in history. That is why we live right now, is to hear God in his love through his son for us. On the night he was betrayed, and we're told, by the way, to tell this story every time we gather together. This is why we do this, by the way. I don't know how much that's explained to you guys. But I would encourage you, if you read the gospel accounts or you read 1 Corinthians, this is where this comes up mostly. But we're encouraged every time we gather together, not just to remember him around this meal, but to tell this again and again and again and again and again, because we are people who forget. That on the night he was betrayed, he was sitting around this table with his closest friends, and after he had uh, washed their feet and had spent years with them, demonstrating his wisdom and his life for others and his power. He takes common uh, bread, just on the, a loaf of bread sitting on the table, and after giving thanks for that bread, he breaks it. And he says, take this, all of you. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup of wine, common table wine sitting on the table, and after giving thanks, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins for you and for many. As often as you do this, do this in the remembrance of me. And so for the past 2,000 years, all over the world, Christians have gathered together and proclaimed the Lord's death and resurrection and looked forward with great anticipation to him coming again, recognizing that this is the season within which we live and we are to make the most of this opportunity. How this is going to work, how we do it here, um, at least this year, uh, as we have um, some bread, there'll be two sort of lines that can form through the middle. You can come up and take, rip off a piece of bread, um, a small piece or a big piece, totally fine. Um, and then you can dip it in the cup. Um, and, and when you take the bread, we're going to say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And when you dip it in the cup, we're going to say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And we say that because we forget and we need to remember what, who Christ is and who God is for us. And then you're invited to say amen um, and go back to your seat. Um, I will bring um, some stuff up there. Um, uh, I think that's... I think that's all I needed to tell you. Um, I, tonight's gonna be a little bit different in the sense that I'm gonna ask the servers to come forward. Um, you guys can come on forward now. 
Um, and then when, when they're done, I'm actually going to ask the seniors to come forward, if you want to, um, to go first, um, in order that they can then go to the back. And, and every week, y'all, we have a prayer team um, that mostly consists of two women in the back um, uh, who are willing to pray for you. Um, but tonight, we thought some seniors would actually love to pray for you. So if, if you want um, some folks to pray for you tonight, um, they'll be in the back just behind those doors willing to pray while we continue to worship God in this room, all right? So these are the gifts of God for you, the people of God. Um, Take them in remembrance that Christ has died for you and feast on them in your hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. All right?